0: We are in Matthew 24 and it's Passion Week. We've been walking through Passion Week starting with Monday where Jesus comes down from Bethany on a donkey riding to the temple. And He's the the promised Messiah fulfilling Zechariah 9.9 as He's riding that donkey down on Monday and uh, he gets down to the temple. The people are screaming, Hosanna, Hosanna, which means save us. us." They're wanting him to throw Rome out. And instead, he comes and throws religion out. He goes right to the temple, but when he gets down there, he's not going to be put in power by the popularity of people. And so he goes back to Bethany, comes back on Tuesday with his disciples. As he comes back, he sees a fig tree. He curses it. Continues on to the temple. Turns the tables over. Cleanses the temple. And, and basically walks back to Bethany because he's turned the tables over. Nobody says anything to him that we know of. Nothing's recorded about it other than he turns the tables. He goes back to Bethany. On the way back on Wednesday, he sees the fig tree with the disciples and they go, hey, Master, look, it wilted. You, you, it, it did what you said. They were kind of taken back by that. And one of, the, one of the things that struck me about that is that really was one of the first destructive things that you see Jesus do. All the other things He did was take people that were broken and make them well, but He, he cursed the fig tree as a sign to them that He's not just about loving everybody all the time in any condition. That's, now that's what you hear from a lot of people in our country universalists who say, yeah, he, He's just a loving God. He's just a big granddaddy up there. He's just going to open His arms up and everybody's going in. That's not the way it is. Really <clears throat> he is a God of justice and a God of love. Amen. And so He curses that fig tree to teach them and to show them that judgment is coming and Israel is going to be judged. And, and so, because it was supposed to have fruit on it because remember the fruit preceded the leaves and it had leaves on it but no fruit and a fruitless fruit tree is a useless fruit tree and so he goes down to the temple and as he's down there the pharisees go hey who gave you the authority to do all these things and remember what he did he told him three parables he told him a parable about two sons he told him a parable about tenants in a vineyard he told him a parable about a wedding feast, and all the parables dealt with the rejection of the messengers or people that said one thing, but they didn't do it. They didn't obey the Father. It all boiled down to honoring the Father and honoring the person that was in charge. And they didn't do it. They rejected the messengers. And you see God's graciousness as He keeps coming back and coming back and coming back with invitation. And finally, uh, they, they got so frustrated with these stories, because they knew who they were in the stories, they wanted to kill him. So they go, "We got to trap him." So they ask him three questions. They ask him about taxes and paying taxes to Caesar. And he turns it, flips them over on that, and throws it right back and says, "Hey, give to Caesar what's Caesar's, and give to God what's God's." And then, and then uh, they ask him about resurrection. People that didn't even believe in the resurrection, the Sadducees. And he flipped that on him too, and he said, I'm, "This is God. God, there's no dead." children of God. They're alive. Abraham's alive. Isaac's alive. Jacob's alive. He is the God of all of them. And, and they're still alive. They're with him. And then he goes into the, the third one and then goes into asking them a question. He said, hey, whose son is the Messiah? And they say, well, it's David's son. know, well, then how can David call his son Lord? That didn't make any sense. It was a riddle. But he was, he, was, he was taking them to a place of saying, you know what? David knows who I am. You don't know who I am. You don't know. David didn't even have me there like you do, but he, he knew who I was, but you don't. And, and boy, you're talking about getting incensed. And, and so it was at that point, uh, this is still on a Wednesday, he, he starts going back but before he goes back, he gives them this pronouncement of woes. The seven curses. A woe. For us, somebody says, woe is me. That don't mean a whole lot, but he cursed them. This was cursing. Not an explet- expletive type way. It was cursing like I'm putting a curse on you. He's talking about putting a curse on them by saying, woe to you. And it's not a good thing when God says woe to you, it's a bad thing. And he went through that last week and Brad talked that to you. And I I don't know exactly what he covered. What what I sent out and what I told him as I worked through it, that God was warning about leaders who were hypocrites. And He was warning about leaders that are prideful. He was warning about leaders who who focus on religion versus a relationship with God. He, he, He was warning about leaders who lie and have these oaths that are based on things that are meaningless because they're liars. He was warning about people who care more about what the people think than about what God thinks. He was warning about all these things. And that's what the chapter 23 was about. And then He goes into chapter 24. and 24 and 25 make up what's called the Olivet Discourse. Now the Olivet Discourse is called the Olivet Discourse because He gave it on the Mount of Olives, which is right across from the Eastern Gate. He's sitting up on the Mount of Olives and He sees the gate down there. And and He's teaching the disciples about what it's going to look like when He comes again. And and so as He's sitting up there, this is one of three great messages Jesus gives. I mean, He gives a lot of little snippet messages, but He really gives three sermons, primary sermons in Scripture. One of them is the Sermon on the Mount. We covered that back a long time ago in Matthew 5 through seven. The other one is the upper room discourse in, in John 13 through 16. and then this one is the third one, the Olivet discourse in Matthew 24 and 25. And what's interesting about these three sermons is they all reveal a different office of Jesus. The Sermon on the Mount reveals Jesus as prophet. He's a prophet, priest and king, okay So Matthew 5-7, through 7, He's expositing Scripture. He's, he's taking the law and explaining it the way it should have been explained. And then the upper room discourse, He's the priest. He's interceding for His people. He is the intermediary there between man and God. And then in this one, Matthew 24-25, and 25, He's the great King. He is priest, prophet, and king. And what did He do? See, Jesus came to earth and he came as a man to articulate to man who God is what God's requirements are and what happens if you don't meet those requirements that's why he came and when he came he came to communicate to people that the Christian faith is about a person it's about him it's about Jesus it's not about rules Every other religion in the world teaches rules, but Jesus taught relationship. And, and you know, I was on a plane coming back from uh, Atlanta on the flight home. I sat next to two young ladies. One of them was in her 20s. The other lady was in her 30s. The one in the middle in her 30s was a chef for NASCAR. And she was coming back from Las Vegas. They had had an event out there. And so we're just sitting there and they said, we're, I told them, yeah, hey, I'm tired. I just came from India. And wow, what are you doing over there? Well, I was over there training pastors and, and church planners, Really? And I said, yeah. And I said, are you people of faith? You know? And and the girl in the middle said, yeah, I am. My dad was a preacher or was a deacon. My dad was a deacon. And, uh, and, and so that the other girl on the the aisle was listening, but she was trying to act like she wasn't listening. The one in the middle was the one really engaged. And so I said, let me ask you a question. If you were sitting with Jesus in a Starbucks, or if you don't like Starbucks, just pick a restaurant. If you could only ask him one question, what would you ask? And she thought for a minute. She goes, wow, that's a good question. I don't know. Let me think. Uh, I, I would probably ask him why bad things happen to little kids. Which I thought was a pretty good answer, you know? And the other girl, at this point, chimes in and goes, I don't mean to be eavesdropping, but can I answer that? <laughs> and I said, yeah. And she, she would say, I, I, why is there so much hate in the world? That was her answer. And then she was drawn in. I then turned it on him and I said, <laughs> "I said, hey, um, let me ask you a question. What if he asked you, why should I let you into heaven? I just cut to the chase i mean there was no need i mean we were already there right i mean so i just went and they weren't going anywhere right they were stuck stuck in the seats so so, yeah so i just said what would you say and they both thought for a minute and the one in the middle answered first she said you know i try to serve people i try to you know i try to serve and help people and that was the one on the in the aisle too and i said you know what i think it's awesome that you guys serve I think that's great, and I think Jesus would love that, but you know what he would love even more is if you would acknowledge your need for him and the fact that you've been running from him your whole life. That's what he really wants because, see, we all run from him. None of us go to him. He brings invitations to it, and we all have to become aware of the fact that we need him. And they're just shaking their heads, and I went through and I shared the gospel with them. And it was awesome. And they didn't pray to receive Jesus there that day, but they heard the Gospel. And I told them, and I said, now I feel really bad. And they go, why? I said, well, because now you're accountable. (laughs) I said, because now I've shared with you, and you're even more accountable than you were before you got on the airplane. And I said, it's a faith thing. And I said, here's the thing. The pilot up there, I said, you got more faith in him than you do Jesus. I said, did you see his flight credentials? Did you see where he trained? Did you see how many hours he's got? Do you know if he could even fly us through the storm we might be going through? And they go, no. And I said, but you trust him because you got on this plane. And you, you trust Delta because you let them book this guy. So I said, think of all the people you place faith in. I said, why would you place faith in the God who created the world? Right. You know? I said, and I told them. And, and I said, so, so here's the thing. <clears throat> When you think about the day of the Lord coming, which is what Matthew 24 is about, are we ready? Because that's what I basically asked them. Are you ready? If He comes today, are you ready? Because that's the whole point of Matthew 24 and 25, to be ready. And as we look at this, I want to just set the stage overview-wise. The last two verses in 23... Really set the stage for twenty four and twenty five. Let me read those last two verses in twenty three, because this is what uh, y'all covered last week. Is after the woes, and he's lamenting, and, and and that last section he's saying, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets. How I would have gathered you. Jesus is grieving that they've rejected him, and in verse thirty eight it says, "See your house." is left to you desolate. You know what the house is? That's a temple. The temple was where they went to meet God. See, the Jews had confused it and made the temple where they did sacrifice. They thought it was all about the sacrifice, all about the actions, but it was to meet God. They went there and did the sacrifices so they could meet with God and be forgiven and walk with Him and have relationship with Him. But the problem is all they got focused on was the externals. And then he goes on to say, so, that, so first of all, the first thing we see is desolation. He says, your house is desolate. It's, it's going to be uninhabitable. Second thing he says there, he says, for I tell you, you will not see me again. That, that, that is devastating. Have you ever had, had, Have you ever had anybody tell you, I don't want to see you anymore? I have. Yeah, that's not, not a good feeling. I I saw my, my, when Lori and I were dating, I did something that was pretty egregious to her. And and my greatest fear was she was going to tell me, I don't ever want to see you again. And she did tell me she couldn't see me for a few days. She said, you know, I I just don't want to be around you you right now. I need time. And that's, that, But can you imagine the God of the universe who's offered His hand to you saying, nope, I don't want anything to do with you anymore. That's just awful. It's, it's darkness. It is darkness. And that's what, what they get. Well, that leads into chapter 24. But, but, but before we go to 24, let me just finish the verse there in 20, or 39. He says, I won't see you again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. That's a messianic little uh, phrase. And what he's saying is there will be a remnant. We know from Isaiah 10, there's a remnant that will say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So he's not being desolate for everybody. It's not going to be dark for everybody forever. And we know that. And that's what he lays out in chapter 24. So if, If you will turn to chapter 24, we are going to read this. And as we read it, I want you to think about three things. Being a Marine, I like to make acronyms, right? That's just the way God made me. I like acronyms. All right. This is real easy today. It's a simple outline. I mean, when you're doing 51 verses, it can't be too complicated. It's got to be simple, right? So, the first one is this. God wants us to be watchful. W, watchful. And we're going to see that in the first 14 verses. Second, He wants us to be alert. 15 through 43, we're going to see that. And then 44 through 51, the last seven, He wants us to be ready. W A R, war. We're in a war. We are. We don't act like we're in a war, but we're in a war. Could you ever imagine a Marine in the middle of Afghanistan going, you know what? I'm just kind of tired. I don't want to fight today. You think the Taliban's going to go, okay, we're going to call it off, guys. Joe doesn't want to fight today, so we're going to just let let him have a day off. Could you ever imagine that? But, but in the Christian life, we do it all the time. We act like Satan's going to give us a pass. And when I told this person I was talking to the other day, because they were talking about how intensified they feel the, the, the battle as they've stepped out to do more things for God. I said, man, that's when you when you step out and you start doing more, you're going to get more oppression. Right. That's what happens. Why are you surprised by that? Remember? Don't be surprised when these things come into your life, Paul says. Don't be surprised by these sufferings and tribulations. That's part of the plan. So watchful, alert, and ready. And by the way, those are different phrases. They don't all mean the same thing. And we're going to look at each one of those. So bear with me. 51 verses, guys. We're going to read through it. But let God speak to you as you listen to His Word come off of my lips. Let His Spirit speak to you As you hear these words, starting in verse 1, Jesus left the temple and was going away when his disciples came to point out to him the buildings of the temple. But he answered them, you see all these, do you not? Truly I say to you, there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. As he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us When will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the close of the age? Jesus answered them, See that no one leads you astray. For many will come in My name saying, I am the Christ. And they will lead many astray. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. And there will be famines And earthquakes in various places, all these are but the beginning of the birth pains. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death. And you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and they will lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. So when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel standing in the holy place, let the reader understand Then let those who were in Judea flee to the mountains. Let the one who is on the housetop not go down to take what is in his house. And let the one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak. And alas for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days. Pray that your flight may not be in winter on a Sabbath. For then there will be great tribulation such as not has been from the beginning of the world until now. No and never will be. And if those days had not been cut short, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. Then, if anyone says to you, look, here's the Christ, there he is, do not believe it. For false Christ and false prophets will arise and they will perform great signs and wonders, so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. See, I have told you beforehand. So if they say to you, look, he's in the wilderness, do not go out. If they say, look, he's in the inner rooms, do not believe it. For as the lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Wherever the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, the stars will fall from heaven, and the powers of heaven will be shaken. Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And He will send out His angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather His elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to another, to the other. From the fig tree, learn its lesson. As soon as this branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also, when you see all these things, you know that He is near at the very gates. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. Then two men will be in the field, one will be taken, one will be left. Two women will be grinding at the mill, and one will be taken, one will be left. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But know this, if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming in an hour you do not expect. Who then is the faithful and wise servant? whom his master has set over his household to give them their food at the proper time. Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. But if that wicked servant says to himself, my master's delayed and begins to beat his fellow servants and eats and drinks with drunkards, the master of the house or the master of the servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and in an hour he does not know and will cut him in pieces and put him with the hypocrites. In that, places, in that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. May God bless His Word. Wow. When you think about Josiah finding the scrolls and then reading them all day, the whole Old Testament all the Old Testament books. You know, I don't know how often you read through a book like or through a chapter like that or even a whole book. There's some churches now that are actually doing this where they they will have a reading and they will have like the book of Romans and they're going to say, "You know what? Saturday night we're going to read the whole book of Romans." And they'll just have people get up and read different chapters and go through the whole book. There's something great about that that I think we miss out on because a lot of times we just segment our reading. But when you get it all, when you get this broad stroke like this, there's a lot going on in this. A lot, but it all centers around being ready. That's the ultimate point. Are we we going to be ready when He comes? Do we even act like we're going to be ready? Because the the issue for us is when when we got 95% of the people that call themselves Christian have never told one person about Jesus, we got a problem. We've got a problem. That's not acting like you're ready. And and so I was driving down the road the other day, and I told Brad this. I, I said I had this thought. It's kind of it's. I want it to be a, a a slogan for us, a motto, whatever you want to call it. But I'm going to be a five percenter. I'm going to be a five percenter. I'm going to be a guy that I'm going to share the gospel. And I'm asking God from now to the day I die at least once a day, I want to share the Gospel with somebody, I want to share my testimony with somebody, or I want to engage somebody in spiritual conversation for the rest of my life. Because I want to be a 5%er. I don't want to be in the 95. Even for a day. See, the problem is we want to be in the 95% some days. We just are too tired. And I'll give you an example. While I was in India, I get on a plane, and I'm beat, man. I'm beat from flying over there. So we get on the flight from Delhi to Baghdogra I crack open my iPad. I put on a movie. I'm just sitting and watching a movie. And it's an action movie because I'm an action guy. So I'm watching this movie on my iPad, and there's an Indian next to me and an Indian next to him. <clears throat> Rich is back three seats. And so I'm sitting there watching this movie, and the guy keeps tapping me on the shoulder talking about he kill him. he kill him, right? You know? And he's just wanting to engage with me. And I'm going, yeah, I'm just smiling at him. And then I go back. And about five minutes into it, I just get this dagger in my heart going, you care more about the movie than you do this guy's soul. And I'm like, whoa, okay, God. I close the iPad and I said, hey. Where are you from? And I start talking to the guy. Well, the guy next to him starts listening. So by the end of the flight, I'd shared the gospel with both of them. And the guy next to me was a Muslim. I didn't even know he was a Muslim. But he, his name was Muhammad. And so I shared the gospel with a Hindu and a Muslim when I could have been watching a movie. And I wanted to watch the movie until God convicted me. I don't want to be in the 95%. I don't want you to be in the 95%. And it's not that we get a notch on our Bible. It's that we're being faithful, doing what He created us to do. And so the whole point of Matthew 24 is to ask, are you ready? Are you ready? The first thing He says is, be watchful. And here's the thing. Watchful, according to the dictionary, means observing closely. Observing. It means to observe closely. And and Jesus starts off, the way it starts off, the disciples are going, man, look at the temple. They're talking about how beautiful it is, how awesome it is. And He goes, it's all gone, guys. And they go, well, when? How? What are we going to look for? And so they ask these two questions and He sits up on the Mount of uh, Olives and He's teaching them. And He says, well, let me tell you what it's going to look like. And he and he lays out the kind of people that are going to be surfacing during the last days. This is the because he talks about an antichrist and he lays out um, antichrist. He lays out war. There's going to be wars. There's going to be fighting. He lays out there's going to be uh, you know famine. There's going to be earthquakes. And I'll just tell you, if you really want to. Um, Get into detail on this stuff. We're not. This is this is not prophecy. I mean, it is from Jesus. Jesus is prophesying, but he's dealing with fishermen, right? So he's not dealing with it on a big theological level here. He's got a big broad brush because let's face it, Peter's just not the sharpest uh, knife in the drawer. He's not. He's a good guy. He's going to be the first one in the battle, but he's just, you know, Jesus is making it simple for him. If you want more detail, go to the book of Daniel. You can go to the book of Daniel, chapter 8, chapter 11. You can go to Revelation, chapter 6 through 18. You can go to 1 Thessalonians 5, 2 Thessalonians 2. And it talks about all this stuff in much more detail. But we're not going there. We're not getting into premillennial, postmillennial, amillennial. We're not getting into pre trib, post trib, whatever. I'm, a, I'm just I'm just looking forward for a second return. You know? There, there's debates on all those things. Are we gonna be raptured or are we not gonna be raptured? Guy gave me a book this morning. I had not even read it, but I mean in the back, I just looked at the back and it's a it's about prophecy and it's, he's a he's a rapture guy. I got other good friends who don't believe in a rapture. And you know what? At the end of the day, it doesn't really matter. We don't have any control over either one of them. That's right. But what what we he wants us to know is that he's coming back again and we need to be ready. That's the bottom line. And, and and people get so focused on prophecy and looking, trying to figure out the date. In fact, one guy in one cult said that Jesus was coming back in nineteen eighty eight. And he didn't appear. He didn't come. You know why? If somebody tells you a date, you know they're lying right off the bat. Because nobody knows. I mean, how do you, I don't even know how they reconcile that with Scripture, but it's the way a lot of cults do. They just reinterpret it and they twist it. But but here's the thing. As we look at, as we look at this watchful thing, Jesus lays out, you're going to have antichrist and false prophets. So what kind of people are going to be around leading? You're going to have false teachers, false prophets, False believers. Believers who fall away. And you know why? Because these people don't care about God or what God says. They're not driven by God. They're driven by the enemy. They're driven by the world system. And what's sad to me is we live in a culture right now where, where most... I don't want to say that. That's I'll be careful. All right. Where a lot of pastors... And Christian leaders today in this culture are more driven by the people in the pew than by the God in heaven. Amen. They care more about what the people think out there in the world than what God thinks about what they're doing. In fact, I was talking to a person the other day and they told me that the church reversed direction on something because a donor held a check from the church until they did So what's the price? At what price are they going to compromise? And these people that He's talking about here, that's a sign of the last days. When you start having these kind of people that are more geared toward the world than they are God. But they're not His people. His people are loving and loyal. He says in verse 4, See that no one leads you astray. He says, many are going to come in My name saying I'm the Christ. Many will come. Not all. Some of the people that come are good people. Because some of the people that come in His name. How do you know if somebody's really from God or not? Because they match up with His Word. Mm-hmm. Right. Exactly. They, they, you can go to the Word like the noble Bereans and you can see if what they're saying matches up. That's why it's important to know it and to be biblically literate. Verse 12, he says, because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. Do you see coldness in our culture? Do you see lawlessness in our culture? But it's not all, it's many. It's many. There's still some, and those are the people you want to latch on to. Antichrist, real quick, the only thing in Revelation I want to reference is in this he's talking about Antichrist, he's talking about war, he's talking kingdom against kingdom, he's talking about famine, and he's talking about death and earthquakes and pestilence. If you go read Luke's account, I think they throw in pestilence in there. And he's talking about death. If you go over to Revelation chapter 6, the first few verses, there's four horses. First horse brings the Antichrist. Second horse brings war. Third horse brings famine. Fourth horse brings death. Remember the movie Pale Rider? He came on a pale horse. That was the fourth horse. Revelation 6. It matches up. Why? Because God did it. He said it. He matched up what He was telling John in his vision with what Jesus said back in Matthew 24. It it lined up exactly with what Daniel said back in Daniel 8 and Daniel 11. See, there was this period of time, guys, where there's supposed to be 70 weeks 69 we covered brought us to Messiah who came, and there's a gap for that last week. That last week is the tribulation period. And if you go through and you read in, uh, in um, Daniel and you read in Revelation, that last week is made up of seven years. First three and a half years is covered really in verses four through eight here, and then the rest is covered down through nine through 14. And it just that what's going to happen is. There's going to be a rebuilt Roman Empire according to Daniel 2. That kingdom reconstituted is going to be ten nations that make up this rebuilt Roman Empire that are going to basically come to the defense of Israel. They're going to deliver Israel from Russia and Arabs, basically. Muslims. And the person leading that European Union is going to be the Antichrist. He's going to make a pact with Israel To deliver them, He's going to save them. Then go into the temple and set up Himself as King. And that's what's talked about in the next verse in 15. The abomination of desolation. Not only are we to be watchful, He says, we're also to be alert. Alert means to be quick to notice a dangerous or difficult thing. Alert. Not just watchful, but alert. You can be on watch, but not be alert. And to be alert, you got to be watching. And he's telling us, he says, let the reader understand. That means you go back to Daniel. When Daniel, back in Daniel 11, uh, talks about the abomination of desolation. He's talking about an event that's going to happen. And a lot of times prophecies had a near fulfillment and a future fulfillment. One that would happen immediately that was kind of like a preview of what was going to happen like before Christ comes back. And in this case, the near fulfillment of this was a guy named Antiochus Epiphanes that in about 160 B.C. went into Jerusalem. He was a Syrian king. He goes into the temple. He sacrifices a pig on the altar then takes the pig and shoves it down the throat of the priest to defile them then sets up a statue of Zeus in the temple and the Jews wouldn't go back in there cuz it was defiled it was completely defiled and and What Jesus is saying is, when you see, he's telling them signs. He says it here in verse 15. He also over in verse 29, he says you're going to see it in the stars in the cosmic display that God shows of signs. So you're going to have signs, but he also says, I'm giving you safeguards. In verse 23, he says, if anyone says, Look, here's a Christ, you don't have to, don't, he's not hidden. When He comes back, it's going to be like seeing lightning flash up in the sky. It's not going to be off in some secret corner somewhere. So if people try to tell you you've got to do something secret, then you don't believe them, He says. So He gives us safeguards. But the other thing He gives us is Scripture down in verse 35. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. And do you know for 2,000 years, people have been trying to destroy this book? They've tried to discredit this book. They try to do everything to make this irrelevant, and they can't because God's got his seal around it. And he gives us his word. And the other thing he says is verse 37. He tells us about Noah. He gives an example from the Old Testament about the flood. Now, for those of you who've been around people who said, well, that Noah thing was just a story used to illustrate a point. I've heard people say that. Mm-hmm. Why would Jesus quote it as if it's fact? Because He is. He's quoting it here like it's a fact that everybody would know and believe. Because it was a fact. And He's given us an... Auth- he's. I love it when Scripture authenticates Scripture. Mm-hmm. He's confirming that this is true. Guys, you can bank on what's in this book. So He gives us Scripture. Are you alert? Then you go down to uh, verse 44. He says, therefore, therefore what? You go back to verse 43. Know this that if the master of the house had known what part of night the thief was coming, he would stay awake and would not have left his house broken into. All right, so he's saying, You guys need to understand all this stuff's gonna happen to give you a clue that something's coming. And then he says, Therefore you must be ready. For the Son of Man is coming an hour you do not expect. He's coming when you don't expect it. So how do we live with this attitude of being ready. If we're watchful, we're alert, but now how do we be ready all the time? Can we live in a constant state of readiness? Can you literally be expecting Jesus to come back today every day? Is that even practical really? Be honest. I don't think so. I Not in the sense that we think about I mean, being ready. I'm talking about... It's like... It's like when you do workups to go fight in a battle somewhere, like in the military, you work up and then you're on a state of readiness for a specified period of time. But they have to give you breaks from that because you can't stay in that heightened sense. So what I'm talking about is that heightened sense of readiness. We can't live like that every day. And Jesus knows that. So he tells a parable here that helps us understand what it means to live in a state of readiness. I love it when he does that. And he, he he parallels two servants here. A faithful servant, a foolish servant. One who lives ready and one who doesn't. And he, he kind of goes to an extreme to make a point about this guy beating people, getting drunk and all this stuff, to say this was a foolish guy who did not live faithfully. But the other guy lived faithfully, he says. The faithful servant in verse 44 Says, who is the faithful and wise servant whom his master has set over his household to give them food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find doing when he comes. That's what it means to be ready. Not putting off to some other date what we ought to be doing today. Oh, you know what, Doug? I want to, you know, I really need to be part of something like SWAT. I need to be in training. I need to do, I really need it. But I just, you know what? I can't find the time right now. Can't find the time. Guys, I know every day you come in here, there's time required. I get that. I get that. But you know what? One day, we're going to stand before God and He's going to have this big spreadsheet of time. And He's going to look and it's going to say job, family, ministry. And and it's all going to be there. And, and if you spend your life trying to chase the dollar, you're going to end up at the end of your life wishing that you would have made a lot different decisions in your life. I can just tell you. Because God provides the money. You don't have to work to get the money. You work to glorify God. He gives you the money as you faithfully serve Him wherever He puts you. I talk to guys all the time. i got to do this because if I don't do this, this deal's not going to come through. Oh, that's fine if that's what God wants you to do. But you have got to understand He provides every nickel that goes into your pocket. Every nickel. There's nothing that you can do if He wants to put money in there and there's nothing you can do if He wants to take money out of there. He just wants you to be obedient to Him. So the question is, are you ready? Are you living faithfully or foolishly? That's the question we have, we have to ask ourselves. So as you leave today, I want you to think two questions. Am I going to be a 5%? Not just for one day. Okay, I did my one and done. I'm good now. Are you going to be a 5%? Or Lord, help me. You pray for divine opportunities, He'll give you divine opportunities. And then the second thing, am I living in a state of readiness? Am I being faithful where He's planted? That's what He wants us to do. Father, thank you so much for uh, all you do. Thank you for your word and your reminder today. As I know it was a lot of stuff in that passage, Lord, that probably uh, didn't get covered. But I pray that uh, each guy would go and, and do his own research and read and let you speak through all those other passages and really just uh, continue to train and prepare them, Lord, to be ready at all times let us be five for sinners let us be lord witnesses for you let us be part of fulfilling that great commission lord uh, we do pray for our brother frank pray for his health continue to heal his body and help him with the infection that he's dealing with lord and uh and lord there's uh other prayer requests on here i just lift up to you to pray for wisdom for this one brother and then for a marriage, for this other brother um, that he's concerned about. I just pray for your healing there. And, uh, Lord, that you would provide guidance, bring believers around these people to encourage them, and may your Holy Spirit comfort them. Thank you for all that you do. We love you and praise you. Amen. Amen. Amen.